I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you're a guest with us this Lord's Day at Bloomfield Baptist Church, we uh, walk through the Scriptures together, and so we're actually in the process of walking through the book of Hebrews right now, but uh, we're pausing in that study today uh, as we're on this fourth Sunday of Advent as we prepare for our Christmas celebration midweek this week. Uh, Today we're going to take some time to look at Luke chapter 2. Uh, I hope a familiar passage to you, but a great reminder to us uh, about what it is we are to celebrate this time of year as we remember the incarnation, as we remember uh, the eternal Son of God being made flesh, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we're going to look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And so if you'll turn there, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have some of the pew racks in front of you and we invite you to look to God's Word with us. If you would stand, if you're able, out of reverence for God's Word now, as I read today's text for us. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's Holy Word says. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. If you will pray with me. Father, we thank you for your eternal word and the truth of it. And we pray, God, this morning as we are in a a season that can be so hurried and so busied that we will take a moment to consider the gravity, the the truth that we're given in this passage and how it affects us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you've probably seen over the years, 
newspapers all over uh, the country this time of year will publish letters to Santa from children. And, and those go back some time. In fact, you can look at newspapers from 100 years ago and you can read these letters. And it's interesting to compare uh, what children asked for in the past and what they asked for now. And so uh, I spent some time this week looking through some of these old letters. And I'll share with you just a, a few highlights. These are from the late 1800s and early 1900s. Now, the first one is from a little girl named Emmeline. Uh, she's from Indiana. I wrote this in 1910. She said, Dear Santa, how are you doing, Santa? My finger got bit off by Daddy's hog. I want a wagon and a goat that pulls hard. A lot of, a lot of facts there in her letter. Hopefully nobody wrote a letter like that this year. Uh, Jimmy from South Carolina in 1921 wrote this, Dear Santa, I know you're not rich this year, but please bring me a tricycle with a bell on it. If it doesn't have a bell, don't bother bringing it. <laughs> One and a bell. Uh, another anonymous girl in Nebraska wrote this in 1903, uh, Dear Santa Claus, Maggie next door had two dollies last Christmas, and I had none. I cried all day. She don't need any dollies this Christmas, so don't give her any and give me two. <laughs> Donald in Virginia wrote this in 1900. Uh, Dear Santa, I am the worst boy you have ever seen in your born days. But if you give me a pocket knife, I'll try to do better. <laughs> Maybe not. And then another one that caught my attention was Harold in Montana. Uh, catch the logic in this one. Uh, this is what he asked for in 1898. Dear Santa Claus, please bring me a horse, a cow, an elephant, and a shovel. Mom and Dad might have added the shovel there at the end because you would need one. You get a horse, a cow, and an elephant. You've probably never been to the circus then. So, most of these letters, though, from 100 years ago, they, they ask for very simple things. You know, put the elephant to the side for a second. Uh, most of them just wanted a doll, uh, some candy, maybe some marbles. But if you compare those to today's letters, uh, they're a little different. Uh, our toys have become a bit more sophisticated. There's always uh, electronics now. They're, they're more expensive. And so, in that way, things have changed over the years, but... Uh, there's lots of things that haven't changed. And, and one thing that hasn't changed, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is our need this time of year to pause and consider passages like Luke chapter 2. And we especially have that need in this day and age because we are a busy and rushed people. Now, there is a reason that this season is referred to as the holiday rush. And some of you experienced that in recent days. You rush around to school programs. You rush around to Christmas parties. You rush around to family gatherings. And, and then there's the, the rushing around to buy gifts. In fact, I read one article this week that said that 62% of Americans wait until the week before Christmas to start their Christmas shopping. And that same article said that over half of the people last year who received Christmas gifts, admitted that they received things that they didn't really want. So think about those two statistics for a second. Now, over half of us are going to go crazy this week trying to buy gifts for people who probably aren't going to like them anyways. 
Uh, but that's what we do this time of year. We, we are rushed and we are hurried. And what we desperately need to do as followers of Jesus Christ is to pause. To just take a moment and to consider why is it that we celebrate Christmas? Why is it that we look to the Gospels this time of year? It's very easy for us to get lip service and say things like Jesus is the reason for the season, but, but do we really take the time we need to to focus on Jesus during this season? Well, that's why we have mornings like today. That's why we gather on the Lord's Day. And that's what I want us to do just in these moments. So here's the good news for you. You don't need to rush right now. You don't need to run to a party right now. You don't need to do your holiday shopping right now. So if you're shopping on Amazon on your phone, please put that away for a few minutes. We can take time right now to look to God's Word together and to consider what it is that Jesus brings us. And specifically, this angelic revelation, this proclamation that was made to these shepherds while they were watching their flock by night. And they're told that Christ would bring peace on earth to all people. And so in this hurried, busy time, when we might not associate our life with peace, I want us to consider the peace that Jesus offers us and specifically what kind of peace He offers us during this Advent season and as we see it in Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin there with that first point in your outline. What kind of peace does Jesus offer? First, we see that He offers peace in uncertain times. He offers peace in uncertain times. Luke here gives us a, a clear window into the time of uncertainty in which Jesus was born. You know, notice in Luke's Gospel, he gives us some historical references here. He tells us who was in charge and who was leading the Roman Empire. And this helps us historically to have a better understanding of what things were like for God's people during the days when Jesus was born. He tells us here in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that it should be registered. This was a time when the Roman Empire controlled much of the world. And this decree that was given was like a census. Now, we're going to have a census uh, in the upcoming year here in the United States. And when we have a census, people will actually come to our door and they'll ask us questions. But it was very different during this day. In order to take the census and to be registered, you had to go back to your family's hometown, back to the, the origin of where your family came from so that you might be registered. And this was a process through which then the Romans would know how to tax you. So this wasn't a pleasant experience. There wasn't a, a pleasant context here. It was basically a way for them to be taxed and to be taxed by Rome and specifically to be taxed here by Caesar Augustus. We know that Historically, that Caesar Augustus was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. In fact, when Julius Caesar died, uh, Caesar Augustus was the one that was named as the next in line, named as his predecessor, his son. Uh, he wasn't born with the name Caesar Augustus. It's at that point that he took the name Caesar, and then later the Roman Senate gave him the name Augustus. Now, the name Augustus means holy and revered and prior to this time the only time someone used that name augustus was to refer to deity but caesar augustus took this name intentionally to say that he was a caesar and that he was a god 
In fact, as you study the Caesars, you can see from this point moving forward that the Caesars were deified, that people believed them to be gods. When Caesar Augustus eventually died, people comforted themselves with a saying, gods cannot die. And so they looked to them as deity. I share all that so that we might fully appreciate and understand the context here for the people of God, for the Jewish people. When you study God's word, you know that all the way back in Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham and a promise to his people that they would be a blessed nation and that the nations would be blessed through them. We see in the Exodus, God tell Moses and tell his people that he's going to take them to the land of promise. God's people have been promised a land and promised an inheritance. And now they're at a point in their history where we see between the Old Testament and the New, hundreds of years have gone by without any revelation from God. It appears God is silent. Hundreds of years have gone by where they're not in the land of promise and they're not in control. They are being ruled over now by the Roman Empire. And they now find themselves in a place and a day and an age where they're being commanded to travel, to go register so that they can pay even more taxes to a leader who believes themselves to be God and who persecutes them for their faith. This was a time of great uncertainty for the Jewish people. And we know from the Scripture that it was a particular time of uncertainty for a couple named Joseph and Mary. Luke records for us here a little bit about the situation of Joseph and Mary, and we find out more about it when we look to the other Gospels, specifically to Matthew. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, we learn that Joseph was a just and righteous man and that he was betrothed, he was engaged to be married to Mary. Now, you have to understand in this context in day and age, engagement and betrothal was a bit different than today. Today, if you get engaged to someone, uh, there are times when engagements are broken. Uh, there are times when someone's engaged and then they're no longer engaged. But in this day, to be engaged was a covenant relationship. It was a contractual relationship. It was in many ways what we might think of marriage as today. Except uh, the couple were not living as a married couple. They'd not come together in physical union yet. But, but they were bound to one another. They were betrothed. They would be married. And so Joseph and Mary are engaged, and it's at this point that the Scriptures tell us that something miraculous happens, that Mary is with child, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, when he hears this news, uh, immediately thinks that something immoral has taken place. He, he doesn't understand it, and so he, he seeks to divorce Mary, which would end their engagement. But then God gives Joseph, like he gave Mary, a revelation. And he helps them to understand, both of them, that this child is miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit, that this child is the promised Messiah, and that this child will take away the sins of many. And so they know this truth because God revealed it. But imagine for a moment what it would have been like for them in the culture and the context that they lived in. I mean, imagine for this couple, for this young girl Mary, to be found with child and to tell people whether this child within me is conceived by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Imagine that the scorn and the shame and the community she lived in, that the rumors that people would have been uh, sharing among one another. And in fact, we know from the Gospels, accusations that were made about Jesus later on, that, that many people did not believe what the truth of Scripture tells us about Him. 
And so they would have looked on Joseph and looked on Mary as an immoral couple, an immoral relationship, and they would have scoffed them and they would have scorned them. And so we can see that it's, it's sort of a gift here that God uses this decree from Caesar Augustus because it removes them from this community of shame and, and it takes them somewhere else on this trip. And yet we find for them this too is a time of uncertainty. And we read in verse 4 that uh, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of, Bethle- city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 90 miles. And so you can picture as the crow flies that that's about the distance between Bloomfield and Cincinnati. Now, for us today, that might not seem like a big trip. You, you jump in your car, you drive up there. But of course, in this day and age, it would have been a quite different scenario. And especially when you consider that Mary is at a point where she's about to have a baby. Now, for a lot of you moms in this room, that even in this day and age we live in with automobiles and planes and all these things, you probably have had travel restrictions when you were late term in your pregnancy. But we see here for Joseph and Mary, very late in her pregnancy, uh, they step out in faith and they go on this journey. And there was much uncertainty there for Mary and Joseph. Where would this child be born? How would God provide for them? But what we see here in this time of uncertainty for the Jewish people and uncertainty for Joseph and Mary, we see God's provision. Specifically, we see this declaration from the angels that Jesus came to give peace. And friends, that is a welcome reminder for us today. Because you and I live in a time of uncertainty. You and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We may have our plans for 2020. We may have our ideas about 2020. But we do not have control over what the coming year will bring any more than we have control over what the coming day will bring. Our health is uncertain. Our finances are uncertain. Our relationships with others are uncertain. The safety and security and well-being of our family, these things are uncertain. But we can have peace. Because for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we know that in the midst of all this uncertainty, we can have security and we can have rest in Jesus Christ. Because if we've come to faith in Jesus, if our trust is in Jesus, He gives us a peace that none of those other things can give us. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8, where he writes this, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, that's good news. Because that means no matter what happens to you, or your loved ones, or your family, or your friends in the coming days and coming years, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Christ offers us peace. In times of uncertainty, we also see point two, He offers us peace for unrighteous people. For unrighteous people. Now again, notice the context here. Luke helps us to see the the day and age and setting in which Jesus was born. And then he takes us to this scene on a hillside outside of Bethlehem where an angel then joined with a multitude of heavenly hosts 
proclaims to the shepherds what has taken place, that Jesus the Messiah has been born. Now, it's important for us to pause and consider here how we typically think about shepherds. Uh, you might have nativity scenes. We've got, nativity, we've got a nativity scene right here. And this is normally how we picture shepherds. Uh, they are very clean in our portraits here. The sheep are very clean. They're, they're very well-dressed. I mean, this, this guy looks like he's ready to go to the Christmas Eve service. He's got his pretty little lamb with him. Uh, this is not what Middle Eastern shepherds look like. You have about as much chance of finding a Middle Eastern shepherd that looked like this as you would have of finding a Sasquatch riding a unicorn on a city in Bethlehem. That This was not what they looked like. And in fact, what shepherds in Jesus' day looked like were they were dirty, they were filthy, uh, they spent their days with animals, they, they slept with animals. In fact, the animals were pretty dirty as well. In fact, shepherds had a reputation in that day of being thieves because many of them were. Uh, you can imagine if your livelihood was based off of the size of your flock and, and if someone uh, was immoral and unethical, it was easy for them to steal sheep from others. And so shepherds built up, kind of had a reputation around them that they were thieves, that they were dishonest, that they were deceitful, they were dirty. And, and so the people in Jesus' day, the people in the time of Luke 2, they, they looked at shepherds as just unclean people as unrighteous people. And if you were a religious person, if you were someone who considered yourself righteous, then, then you would stay far away from shepherds. In fact, one account I read said this of shepherds. The shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people of that day. According to the Mishnah, which was a book of Jewish law, the shepherds were under a ban they were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. So just think about that for a second. Here this angelic choir proclaims, not to the religious elite, and not to the kings and rulers of the day, but, but to dirty, lowly shepherds. This proclamation and this good news comes. And that's significant. I mean, consider the significance of it. Consider what God is telling us in that moment when we read this in Luke chapter 2. One thing he's saying really clearly is the gospel is for unrighteous people. And Jesus makes this clear. We see, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is there with Matthew who was a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors weren't viewed as lowly as shepherds, but they were viewed pretty lowly in that day and age. And, and Jesus is getting mocked and scorned because he's spending time with tax collectors. And Jesus turns to the religious elite of his day as he's spending time with Matthew and he's hearing these Pharisees and scribes grumble and he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And this is the message that we're reminded of in Luke chapter 2. Because while we might not be those who are considered lowly because of our profession, where we might look a little cleaner than Middle Eastern shepherds, that the Scripture says of us that we are unclean as well. Not unclean because of our profession. Not unclean because we deal with animals. But we're unclean according to the Scripture because of the condition of our heart. But the Scripture says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means that God's standard is holiness and righteousness. 
And we all fall short of that standard. Now, this morning you might be here and you might consider yourself to be a pretty good person because oftentimes we just look around and that's kind of our barometer for how good we are. And we can turn on the news and we can feel pretty good about ourselves. We can spend time with certain people and feel pretty good about ourselves. You might even come to church this morning, look across the room and say, well, at least I'm better than that person. But I'll remind you as I have before, just as you can look around the room and say, well, I'm better than them, somebody can look at you and say, I'm better than them. It's, it's a sliding scale, and it's not a scale of righteousness. It's a scale of attempts at good behavior. But what the Scripture says is that God's standard is perfection and righteousness. And that's why when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they had to be removed from the presence of God. Now again, remember what Adam and Eve did. Adam didn't beat his wife. Eve didn't murder Adam. They ate a piece of fruit. God said, do not eat of this tree. And they did it and they disobeyed God. And when they did, the consequence was they were immediately removed from the presence of God. And they were deserving of the eternal wrath of God. And the Scripture says that every one of us are in the same condition. We've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. But God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And we're reminded in passages like Luke chapter 2 that Christ did not come to make well people better. He came to make sick people better. That He came to the unrighteous, lowly shepherds. And in there, there's a picture of Christ coming to us and our sin. We're also reminded here that He came for all people as the declaration is made there to the shepherds. How do we respond to this truth? Well, the Scripture tells us that very clearly. In Romans chapter 10, if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, then we can experience this peace that Christ came to bring us. We can be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And so the most important question that you can ask and that you can answer during this Christmas season is not what are you getting for Christmas. It's not how are you guys doing and how are your holidays. It's not what are your goals for the next year. The most important question we can ask and answer is this. Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? And friends, that is the question that the Scripture both asks and answers and tells us exactly how we can have this peace and what this peace brings. Which leads us to the third point. Jesus offers us a peace that leads us to glorify God and to praise Him. To glorify God and to praise Him. And notice here the shepherd's response to the angel and to the heavenly host. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And so again, consider the context. Here these lowly, dirty shepherds are out on this hillside and they're watching over this flock of sheep. And as they watch them, all of a sudden, something miraculous happens. They see an angel. And the Scripture tells us not just an angel, but that that angel then was joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts. That literally means an army of angels. Probably 10,000, 100,000, thousands of angels filling the sky. And their response is what our response likely would have been, which would have been fear. 
And that's why the angels say, fear not. And then they give them this great news that will be for all people about Christ being born. And how do they respond? Immediately, they want to go and they want to see Jesus. And not just see Him, they want to worship Him. And not just worship Him, but they want to celebrate Jesus and they want to tell others about Jesus. And that's exactly what the Scripture tells us that they do. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned after they left that nativity scene, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they did two things. First, they celebrated the good news. Friends, that's a good barometer of whether or not you've really come to know Jesus as your Lord. If you have, then you should be celebrating this Christmas season the good news that Jesus has come. In fact, if you're sitting here this morning and this is all rather boring to you, that in part could be because I'm not a very good preacher. But, but part of that is likely that the condition of your soul is such that you don't truly know what good news it is that Jesus has died for your sin. Because what that means, friend, is that, that, that we don't have to go through life trying to earn merit before God. That means that you and I aren't going to stand before God one day and Him say, okay, well, let me see here on December 22nd, 2019, uh, what kind of person were you? That did you keep your calm that day? Did, did you fuss at your kids that day? Did you lose your temper that day? Or were you just perfect that day? And if you were perfect that day, then you can come on into heaven. Friends, if we go around this room, we're going to find somebody who wasn't perfect today. I'm one. I couldn't find a shoe this morning. And I did not preach my sermon to myself. I accused a family member of, of hiding my shoe. And then I couldn't find socks that match. Here, here's just a side note for you. When you're buying gifts for your dad, just buy him all the same socks for the rest of time, and that way he'll have socks that match. But if you buy those fancy socks, you'll never find the other one, and you'll never have socks that match. Side note. So... I'm coming here this morning to preach a sermon on having peace in Jesus, and I'm leaving 212 Fairfield Hill, and I don't have peace. And here's what's so great about that. That I'm not going to stand before the throne of God one day, and God judge me based on what a miserable failure I was this morning. He will judge me based on the cross of Jesus Christ. And He will look at me through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus, not through the lens of my pathetic failures and if you know jesus that is good news but friends if you don't know him and if you're trying to earn perfection and if you're trying to somehow have your good outweigh your bad then the scripture says be warned and be aware there is none righteous not even one all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god but god demonstrate his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us and for those who are justified by faith in christ we can have the peace of god and that leads us to celebrate and that leads us to glorify god but if we don't have that kind of peace the best thing we might have is something temporal and something that can be lost so we live in a, a world and we live in a context where people mistake what peace actually is. 
oftentimes when we use the word peace, we talk more about contract negotiations. We talk about nations coming together and coming to agreements. We talk about uh, family members who agree, well, if we don't talk about this and we don't talk about this, then we can be at peace. That's not true and lasting peace. Those are arrangements that can easily fall apart. That's not what Jesus comes to offer us. No, he comes to offer us something so much more secure and something so much more eternal. I was reminded of this just recently. I saw a, a commercial that highlighted a, a true historical event. Some of you may be aware of if you're students of history or if you've seen this commercial. Uh, it relates to what's known as the Christmas truce that happened in World War One. It was Christmas Eve of 1914. And historically, this is what happened. There were Allied troops who were fighting British troops, and they were, they were in trench warfare. And on Christmas Eve, the, the fighting had died down, and at some point on Christmas Eve, as we would later learn from letters written to home, one side or the other started singing Christmas carols. And so these Allied troops started hearing these German voices singing to a familiar tune. And these German troops started to hear the Allied voices uh, singing to a familiar turn, a tune. And then they realized they were, they were singing Christmas carols. And then something even more astonishing happened as, as the light broke on Christmas morning during World War I and 1914 on this battlefield. These, these individuals from these troops began to leave their trenches, cross the battlefield, and began to exchange Christmas greetings with one another. They laid down their weapons. They started to exchange gifts. Some even wrote that they began to play games together and began to sing together. And that's astonishing. But if you know much about history, you know that World War I did not end on Christmas Day 1914 because it was a momentary peace. Before the sun went down that day, they returned to their trenches, they picked up their rifles, and they began to fight again. And friends, that is such a picture for so many of us today because so many of us, rather than having true and lasting, genuine peace with God, we settle for the temporal. We think, well, if I can just clean myself up enough, if I can just try hard enough, if I can just vow enough, if I can just stop doing this and start doing this, well, I'll be at peace with God. And we lay down our weapons and our warfare, and for a moment it seems like everything's okay. But those vows don't last long before we break them. And those commitments don't go far until we fall short of them. And then we find ourselves right back in that battle with sin and with the flesh. But the good news of the Gospel is this. Jesus Christ has conquered once and for all sin and death on our behalf. And we can have everlasting, eternal peace through Him if we will turn and if we will trust in Him today. We can celebrate that and we can share that with others. And so that's our invitation to you this Lord's Day at Bloomfield Baptist Church. It's to embrace this truth, it's to celebrate this truth, and it's to share this truth with others. I want to give you a couple of practical ways that you can do that. If you are one who has embraced this truth and trusted in it, we want to encourage you to share it with others. We've got these little resources available called the Joy of Christmas. And so if you're here this morning and you're still not quite sure what we're talking about when we talk about being at peace with God and the gospel, or if you're here this morning and you do understand that, but you struggle when it comes to talking to other people about your faith, this is a great resource for you. As you can see, it's very thin. It's not very long. It's easy to read through. And so what we encourage you to do is to take this and give it to someone and have a conversation with them about it. 
So I'm not asking you to go stick this out underneath our windshields this morning. I'm saying give this to a person and talk to them. The title is simply this, The Joy of Christmas. And that's a great introduction. It's just to say, hey, I don't know about you, but this Christmas season, I know things are so hurried and busy. Have you found joy in this Christmas season? And that right there starts into a conversation. And then just to give them this booklet and say, well, here's a little resource that, that talks about how we can have true and lasting joy. Well, would you mind just to read this and give me your thoughts on it? And right there, it brings you into a gospel conversation. We've got a stack of these down front. There's some on the welcome desk out there. I'd invite you to take these, to give these to folks, to enter into conversations. We've got Bibles out there that you can give to people. If you don't have a Bible this morning, take one of those, open up Luke chapter 2, and read about and share about the great news for all people that's come to us in Jesus. And we invite you as well, this Christmas Eve on Tuesday at 5.30, we'll be gathering right here to worship Christ together. And that's an opportunity not just for believers, but that's a chance for you to bring family members and, and loved ones and folks who might consider coming that evening who maybe wouldn't come on a Sunday morning. Uh, we'll start at about 5 o'clock with music, but at 5.30, uh, that'll be when our service starts. And I, I promise you, we will clearly share the gospel that evening. Take advantage of these opportunities because this world is uncertain and we don't know how many more opportunities we have to tell those around us about Jesus Christ. But there is something that is certain and that is the gospel of Christ. That is the peace that Jesus offers. And if you don't know that peace, well, we would invite you to come to know it today. So if you would stand together with me as I pray for us, as we sing and as we celebrate this good news. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. And oh, what good news it is. It is a news worth celebrating. It is a news we should be sharing. And so Father, help us, uh, Lord, to, to celebrate it. Help us as we gather this week with family and friends to open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 to, to share uh, the true reason for this Christmas season. And help us to have boldness, Lord. Uh, to talk to people about Christ this time of year and throughout the year. And Lord, help us in the midst of an uncertain world to have peace through Jesus. That help us, Lord, as those who, who sin and fall short to have peace with Jesus. Lord, help us to understand the peace that Christ offers and help us to share that peace with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.